Hello there, and thank you for joining me on the podcast, Effective Parenting. That's my topic. You know, there's um, general agreement among all parents that they want to be effective. Often there's general agreement that no matter what, parents consider themselves relatively effective. What they do, they seem to believe that is reasonable and proper and necessary and the right thing to do in raising their family. Very, very few parents admit to the fact that they're failures or that their parenting skill and style and approach is wrong and inappropriate. So parents come to the parenting task generally with a feeling of somewhat of optimism and hope and kind of self-confidence that they're doing the right thing. Well, the research is very clear. That's not necessarily true. Children turn out very well, even when parents don't do a very good job, according to parenting style and parenting tradition. Some kids turn out very poorly when parents have done all the appropriate and right things in their parenting style, according to the research. So what is the issue here? Why do some parents raise children that are effective and proper and achievement-oriented and gentle and kind and successful and contributory to the society, while other parents produce children that are a drain on society, drain on the criminal justice system, a drain on the police system, a drain on the school system. Everywhere they end up and everywhere they show up, there's problems. And the problems cause people to have to take special time to deal with those problems, and that's costly over time. So we have this kind of problem in the parenting arena that, yes, some parents are very effective and some are very ineffective, even though they may think different. Well, what is it that makes an effective parent? Why are some parents more effective than others? Why do some parents produce kids that are effective and others don't? Well, we don't have an answer to it, actually. We have general patterns and we have general beliefs and we have general research findings And we know that there are certain things that are appropriate in the parenting process. For instance, let me just give you a couple ideas. We know that a two-parent home is better than a one-parent home. We know that a parent home with a father in it is better than a home where there is no father in it. We know that there are uh, homes that are based upon some form of religious study and religious observance. We know that those homes tend to produce better kids than those that don't. In other words, there are homes and there are parenting styles that do produce a better kid, so to speak, generally speaking. We know that there are homes where parents model inappropriate behavior. They lie, they use drugs, they overuse alcohol, they cuss, they mistreat people, they're violent, they're abusive. We know that those parents produce kids that do not turn out very well and become a drain on society. So yes, we do have some general patterns of behavior on the part of parents that produce kids that are effective and generally considered appropriate and good and desirable members of our society. And then there are parents that have styles of parenting and styles of home life that are contrary to what is a good, well-adjusted young person from that home. Well, there is no one answer. There is no one style of parenting. There is no one trait of parenting. There is no guarantee that if you have a certain trait, a certain personality trait as a parent, that you're going to produce a good kid. No guarantee. Kids have their own ideas. Kids have their own motives and their own attitudes that they own that counter often a very good parent's approach. Parents can do very well in the early years, but as a kid comes into junior high and high school, he may very inappropriately behave and choose a path that would be contrary. Is that the parent's fault? 
there are kids who just choose to enter into a drug world, no matter what parenting style they were raised on. Kids have susceptibility to influence from their peer group and from others. So let's take a look at this just for a moment. I recently became aware of and acquainted with a book that is entitled Seven Traits of Effective Parenting. And that caught my attention because I know there are no seven traits of effective parenting. I know that that's not true. I know that there are traits that tend to be more helpful in the home environment and more appropriate and helpful to kids as they grow up. But there's no guarantee that if you have seven traits, you have six of the seven traits or five of the seven traits, that you're going to produce a good kid. There's no evidence of that. But we do know that there are certain traits that make homes function a little bit more smoothly. The oil, the grease of that home is a little bit more uh, workable. And the family seems to get along better and seems to support each other and seems to uh, just be uh, more helpful and positive with each other. So when I was attracted to this book, Seven Traits of Effective Parenting, looking at it from the point of view that this is not legitimate, there are no such seven traits, I was interested in knowing what those seven traits were as identified by the author, Daniel Harita. Now, Daniel Harita is a social worker, and he is employed by Focus of the Family. He heads up their parenting uh, division. And um, I think he produces workshops and helps parents get literature and so on to help them become effective parents. But Daniel Harita here is a um, social worker, and he, on the base of his knowledge and the base of his reading and the base of his personal family life as he grew up and as he raises his own children has come to believe that there are seven traits that stand out and are more likely to be associated with effective parenting and produce effective kids in their own personal life. Now, there's some truth to it. Yes, there's some truth to it. These seven traits have some truth. There's no guarantee. These traits have some guidance for all the parents. But there's no assurance that at the end of childhood, at age 14, the end of childhood at age 18, the end of childhood at 21, that you will have produced an effective child, a successful child, a productive child, a kind child, a contributing child. There's no evidence of that particularly to be sure. But there's a tendency that maybe these traits will work for the good of the parent and for the good of the child. So they're worth looking at. They're worth using as a standard. They're worth putting up in the mirror and saying, how am I as a parent doing in these seven areas of life, seven areas of parenting? Am I behaving in a way that is consistent with these seven? Now, if I am, you know, the chances are a little bit higher that I will produce a family and a child or children that will be effective in their own personal life. So maybe they do have some value, some guidance, some structure. Maybe they point the way to a parent and uh, give ideas as to how parenting is done in the home.
Here are the seven. Adaptability. Parents are to be adaptable. Parents are to teach adaptability. Parents are to portray adaptability. They're to model adaptability. They are to encourage adaptability in their children. In other words, things don't necessarily go the way that you plan. Things blow up in your face. Plans that are made, made in advance, made well in advance, often do not materialize, cannot materialize, and changes have to be made. One has to be adaptable. Things happen. Things happen that are inappropriate or unfortunate or disappointing or hurtful. The parents and the family need to be adaptable to handle such situations appropriately. So parents need to teach adaptability. And one way you teach adaptability is to create change, make plans, and then deliberately change those plans and have an alternative to treat each other as parents respectfully. Parents must treat their children respectfully. Parents must treat their neighbors respectfully. Parents must treat their, their friends, their church associates, their club associates, their work associates with respect. In other words, respect is an extremely important component in relationships and modeled by parents. And if children live with respect, they will tend to learn to be respectful. And here's another factor that you bring to bear. If a child is respectful, you praise the child for that. If the child has honored and became respectful to you as a parent, respectful to their sibling or to a neighbor or to a friend, and shows some respect, you, you praise the child for that. More likely the child will become respectful towards others if they're recognized for the respect that they do show. Okay, that's number two. Here's number three. Love. Love. The parent relationship has to be loving. The parent relationship needs to be encouraging, supportive, positive, growth-oriented, and obviously loving. Every child must learn, come to understand, and accept that you as a parent love your child. That's what a child must hear. Must hear the words, I love you. Must feel the feelings of love being expressed in touch and in relationships. But really what is important in the life of a child is not that they've just heard the words from a parent that the parent loves them, but the child must come to believe that the parent loves them. That's what's important. That's more important. Hearing I love you is good. But a child must believe that those words are honest, genuine, and long-term. They have longevity to them. I will love you today. I will love you tomorrow. I'll love you next month. I'll love you next year. I'll love you if you do behavior A. I'll love you if you do behavior B. Love is an important thing. Here's number four. To be able to express gratitude. Parents must express gratitude. Parents must be known in the home for saying thank you. Thank you very much. Good for you. I'm pleased. I feel good about that. Thank you for doing that. It makes me feel good when you behave that way or when you do your chores or when you clean your room and when you help out and all the various ways that kids earn gratitude. Parents must be quick to express gratitude. Earning gratitude is important, but a child won't keep it up if the child doesn't hear words of gratitude expressed for what he did to earn that gratitude statement. Okay, here's number five. Forgiveness. 
forgiveness. Yes, in every home, there needs to be time of forgiveness. In every home, there must be times of, of uh, admitting wrong or admitting a mistake or admitting an overreach or admitting a, uh, a wrong statement or a lie, if you will. Uh, kids lie. <laughs> but parents have to be forgiving. Parents have to give the example of forgiveness because when a parent is forgiving and a child is forgiven, then the child will learn the process of forgiving others. So it's a learned behavior. Parents teach forgiveness. Here's another one. Boundaries. It's important that in the home there are boundaries. You don't go into certain rooms. You don't go into your sister's room. You don't go into your brother's room. You don't go into your parents' room without knocking. That's a boundary. You don't go into certain uh, places at certain times because that's a no-no. So that's a boundary. You don't do certain behavior. That's a boundary. You don't hang out with certain people. That's a boundary. You don't behave in certain behaviors. That's a boundary. In other words, every home must have the things that are allowed and encouraged and things that are not, that are discouraged. And here's the last one. Intentionality. Intentionality. Parents must operate with intention. They must do what they do with intention. You go to church for a particular purpose, and that purpose must be talked about and expressed and understood. School has intention. There is certain reasons we take certain subjects, and that needs to be talked about. Why do we take math? Why do we take history? Why do we take certain subjects in literature or poetry or whatever? That needs to be talked about. Help children understand the purpose for taking certain courses, certain classes, certain subjects, behaving in certain ways. There are certain restaurants we go to. There are certain restaurants we don't go to. There are certain beverages we drink. There are certain beverages we don't drink. In other words, with intention, with purpose, we behave. And that needs to be discussed and that needs to be talked about with a child. So there you are. Those are the seven traits of what is referred to as effective parenting. Again, let me just caution you. Those are good traits. Those are good behavior patterns. Those are desirable behavior patterns. There's no guarantee that that will produce an effective, honorable, praiseworthy child. You hope so? You would like that? You desire that? It may increase the chances of that happening. So these traits might be worth incorporating. If you don't have them in your life as a parent, maybe these need to be incorporated a little bit more. Maybe you need to learn them a little bit more. Maybe you need to talk about them around the table as a family. See which ones the kids know that you are known for and the ones that you are known not to be known for. Ask your kids. Find out from your kids which of these seven traits would be good to develop a little bit more strongly in the home so that they're more uh, easily uh, appreciated and expressed, okay? Well, thanks for joining me, and um, here we are. The seven traits of effective parenting. Let's see how you can do and improve on them in your own personal life. Bye for now.